We're going to continue on it's week two of this series about exile. And let me, uh, can, I, can I have the, the diagram, please, slide three? Let me try to re- quickly summarize a bit of last week, and then we're going to move into the text of 1 Peter. So what I've been trying, we're going to try to communicate as staff to the whole congregation over these next two years is around this picture. So around the outside of it, you see the phrase flourishing in exile. And what I'm trying to suggest in these first 12 weeks of the series is that Christendom has collapsed. Christendom is no more. What has been part of our culture for about 17 or 18 centuries is over. And something new is emerging, and the Christian faith, Christian traditions, Christian ideas have been moved to the margins, which is going to say a very good thing. So what we talk about is flourishing in exile, and we'll explain some more in just a moment. We want to focus on four values in all kinds of ways over these next two years. We'd like to invite you to try to find ways to grow in these four values. The first one, as was mentioned last week, is intimacy, created for a deep connection with God. What does that mean, and how do we live out of that? And then secondly, we're going to know identity. We know who we are and whose we are. And don't hear what I'm not saying when I say this. But this is an important question for so many. Google recently came out, and Google now has in its uh, work with people, we have now 100 different designations for sexuality. So as a culture, as a world, we're trying to understand what does it mean to be human and who are we? And so we want to go to this identity question. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? And how do you live out of that? We're going to talk about belonging, which is keep creating deep connections for God and for each other. And then purpose. That we're being sent ones. We're being sent into culture to make a positive difference. How are we going to do that? In the white, in the middle, word and spirit. Since 2002, we've been trying as a church family to live in this tension and this balance of word and spirit. And what does that mean? How do we know if we hit the target? We'll become people of the ends policy. We're going to be known as people who bear the fruit of the spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We'll be known as people who have relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to be people who are marked by ever-increasing sacrificial generosity. So how do we flourish in spirit? Well, many ways, we're going to focus on those three. So for the next two years, this is what's going to be driving us, moving us forward. Let me remind you of a few things I said last week about culture, if I may. Let me just read a couple things. And I'm going to... So, I, you know... Kevin K at trcpella.com is my contact information. You know I, I love to learn. So I'd like to give, share with you some of the resources I used in developing all this. Um, there is a three-page bibliography at both Welcome Centers. And if you're interested in learning of what I'm trying to poke at about flourishing in exile, there are multiple outstanding resources. If you're interested, find me. I'll tell you a top two or three, because this is really, really important. And I want you to see from whence I'm drawing these ideas. So First Peter in the Scriptures, and about 45, 50 books that are talking about this exilic idea. So let me just give you a couple things now about culture and the difference of our culture just recently. So this comes from one of these many resources. This is from the writings of Mark Sayers. And blank screen, please, Jim. Let me just give you a couple. I'm going to give you some bullets. Give me six or seven. Post-Christendom, so remember, Christendom, give me the, get the slide to make sure you get that is. Number four, Jim. So Christianity, its teachings, its values, its forms, its institution have moved from the center to the margins of American society. And what I'm going to suggest to you, this is a positive thing. 
But we are now as a community, Christian community, we're on the, on the margins of the conversation around culture. Let me give you the next slide. I have number, uh, number two, please. This is a year's worth of reading on one slide. I re- referenced this last week. Our culture has been described, notice, as a winding journey. So winding. Look at the three sequences here. So I would, I would suggest about 20 years ago, there was a significant cultural movement where God, quote, is dead, and traditional notions of religion and relationships have changed. We move to winding journey to a highly individualistic population focused on personal control and autonomy. But that's becoming passe. And now we're moving into an embryonic but fast-growing kind of human interactions between people, technology, and nature. I see the Vinzanis, and I think Rick and Joan are here, and also Simmons expressed sympathy to you in, in Grandma's death. Yeah. So this is what, we're now, we're moving down to the last one. And so, so much of AI, transhumanism, what's happening, robotics, all those kinds of things is some kind of a melding of the human person with technology and with nature. And this is all unexplored territory, and we're trying to understand it. So in that light, let me give you a couple quick quotes from Mark Sayers, one of the many authors I've read. Listen to some of these quotes. Post-Christendom, the environment we find ourselves in now, is a grace-less environment. Grace-less. The inclusive culture, in quotation marks, at its core, is built upon exclusion. To be in hell in our culture today is to be either socially isolated, FOMO, fear of missing out, or to be shamed. Why are so many people talking about suicide today? Except that they are being culturally isolated or publicly shamed. How about this? In post-Christendom, progress replaces God's presence as the engine of culture. Progress replaces God as the center, the engine of culture. Our current culture deforms our hearts. It reforms our lives in so many profoundly destructive ways. All programs of progress without the presence of Christ create chaos and crisis. Listen to this next one. We are drowning in freedoms, but thirsting for meaning. Now, last one. Our culture and way of living in America today has become emotionally feverish. American culture is defined by anxiety. We are in exile. And we have the opportunity now to flourish. But I need to ask you, will you be willing with me, would you be willing to think differently? Are you willing to be intentionally placing your heart, your spirit, and your body so that you are mindful of Christ and his kingdom in ways perhaps you've not been before? If we just go along with the current cultural river, we will find ourselves increasingly on the, on the margins. And what we're being asked to do is to flourish. Now, let me just, before you get anxiety, anxiety about exile, 
listen, listen to these phrases from the New Testament. The Bible calls the people of God foreigners, aliens, immigrants, and exiles. This is not your home. And exilic people understand we don't live here. And so what First Peter, book of Peter is going to be written to people who have lost so much. So really, really fast, they're right at the start of a time of persecution. Nero's the emperor, and he's decided that Christians can be a great uh, foil for his desire to clean the city of Rome. So basically, real fast, I give you the culture. So in Rome at this time, the, the wealthiest people in the Roman culture were expected to pay for 300 days of festival, which meant nobody worked. You could have as much alcohol and as much food as you wanted, and they had these massive coliseums where they would do things like kill people, gladiators would fight, animals would eat people, that kind of stuff. It was just crazy debauchery. In that context, you have people move into cities like Rome. This is how cities were formed. On the first floor, there would be a, maybe a, a, a home of the wealthy people of stone, of brick. And above it, they would just sell tenements, wood tenements. It would go up 10, 12, 13 stories. Wood so you're on the 12th story and you're cooking and you leave your fire burning and the whole thing goes up in smoke. The whole thing collapses. They pull the bodies out, they pull the debris out, and they just build it again. Well, it's full of vermin and disease and sewage running through the streets. And it was horrible. Nero, people are complaining about Nero. They're not having enough holidays, enough fun. He's going to do some urban renewal. So you know what he did? He sends his soldiers out to burn down Rome. And people are mad, and they blame Nero. What does Nero do? He said it was the Christians. And all of a sudden, Christians become this persecuted minority. Now, from the words of Mark Sayers, listen to this phrase. In the coming years, we have the opportunity to become a creative, resilient, flourishing minority. We have, you hear the words, creative, resilient, flourishing, but we recognize now we are on the margins. We're, we're not the players anymore. So we used to think we were where we are. Now, you can, oh, no, this is here. This is awesome. I want to push. Back in the days of Leave it to Beaver when I was a kid, we had this wonderful idea that America was a wonderful, everything was hunky-dory, when the reality was Racism, sexism, all kinds of stuff was underneath the surface we're not dealt with because we all went to church on Sunday. We all did the church stuff on Sundays. We acted certain ways in public. And there was kind of a general ethos that we embraced publicly. But very many people were not actively involved in a relationship with Christ. And the reality is, now get this. So many of us say the heyday of America, when America was most Christian. You know when people say that was? When the Puritans were here. You know what percentage of the Puritan in the population? 7%. According to the experts, how many people in America today are actually committed to Christ and his kingdom? 7%. So Christendom has imploded. And what used to be the rules is, are gone. And we don't know what's going on. We're moving toward transhumanism and technology 
and creation stuff, creation care, global warming and all, all this stuff is mixing and we don't even have a voice in the conversation. So we can say, oh no, it's all bad, it's all bad, it's all, no it's not. If you want, you find me, I'll give you some resources. Listen to these things. Never in human history have more people had access to clean water than right now. Never in human history have women had opportunity to be educated than right now. Never knew, I could go down a list after list after all these things are happening all over the world. The kingdom of God is coming in multiplicity of ways and all we hear about is how bad it is, how bad it is, how bad it is, how bad it is. And we're in the exile and the, and the fringes and oh, everything is bad. No, it's not. No, it's not. The kingdom of God is never in trouble, ever. The Lord is not sitting on a throne going, Oy vey, what is going on down there? Brothers and sisters, this is a great opportunity. We have an opportunity to flourish. We need to recognize where we live and we move forward. That's all introduction. Jeremiah 29, real fast. Then I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Boy, I talked way too long already. Yay, yay, yay. So, these four verses, chapter 29, 4 through 7. And I'm going to probably read this, at least part of it weekly, just to remind us. We're focusing in January 29, verses 4 through 7. Thirteen times in the chapter we use the word exiles. Look at verses 4 through 7. This is what God says to people in exile. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I, those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters and your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Because of time, I won't go through it. Last, I gave you nine bullet points last week. There are things from this passage that exiles can do and can be. Now, I want you to get this clear, though. You gotta, you gotta, I'm going to really push. The next couple of weeks, I'm going to ask you to think with me. You've got to say, Lord, change my perspective. Let me give you just... For those of you who are much younger than I, and you think, oh, here comes this old geezer again. Let me talk about FOMO for just a minute, fear of missing out. Our phones, our technology, which are such good gifts, but they have created in us this need for immediacy. We, we want to know what's going on now. We want a response to our text now. We want to see what's on Instagram now. We want, we, we, we want to be communicating now, now. We're afraid. And what happens is we lose sight of the bigger picture. So what I'm asking you to do these next weeks is say, Lord, would you help me give a bigger picture? Let me see bigger than, than right here. So I want you to think about how, how, how debilitating and absolutely deformed, destroying this exile idea was. They lost their homes. They believed, the Jewish people believed God was present in his temple. The temple was destroyed. The 4,000 people in the first 
deportation, the women walked nose to nose 700 miles through the desert. If they made it alive, they served in different capacities for the, for the Babylonians. It was horrible. And into that context, you read these words. The Lord says, I sent you into exile. And I want you to pray for the city, the place I've sent you into exile. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So all of a sudden, he's saying, you got to think differently. Life is difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. But you got to think differently. And that brings us to 1 Peter, because 1 Peter is now is going to turn us on our heads. So would you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to just read it quickly, and then I'd like, I'm going to ask you if you take like one minute in conversation. So here's my question for one minute when I'm done. What does this passage reveal to you about exile? What do these 12 verses reveal to you about exile? And if you're open, if you're willing, could you talk together for just a moment? So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now look at the idea of suffering here, the next three verses. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Here's the purpose. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end, end results of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when the Spirit predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of these things that have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. People of God, the Word of God. Can we take one minute? What? Does anything stand out for you about exile? Okay, on your marks, get set. If you want to talk right now, go for it, please. Exile, what's it about exile there? 
Okay, anybody talk back? What, what's, what, what do you see in exile? <clears throat> Help me out. Thousand of your closest friends. Here we go. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, Eric. So Eric said the word exile carries a scary note to it, but then the words grace and peace. Eric, thank you. Well, listen to this. What, what are the two key words in Christian faith? Grace and peace. Why? Grace summarizes the source of your salvation. It's grace. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone boast. Our, the source of our salvation is grace. And why is peace? Because that's the content. It's shalom. We have an eternal peace that is coming to us bit by bit, small amounts of time, often dependent on how open we are to receive it. Grace and peace, what does it say? Be yours in abundance. Where? In exile. While you're on the margins, may the source and content of your faith be poured out upon you. That's the blessing that he starts with. Thank you, Eric. Somebody else? Eric, Lau. So Lyle says, exile is no fun, but it has a purpose. So look at verses 6 through 9. Watch the purpose. Look at 6 through 9 with me. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Here's Lyle's point. These have come, here's the purpose, so the gen proven genuineness of your faith. How important, how rich, how valuable is faith of greater worth than gold. And gold is put into fire to be refined. Your faith coming through trials results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. So let me give perspective. When we are going through trials, can you think differently that the Lord is trying to help you grow your faith? So I'll be personal. Our son dies at age 27. What has that done? Painfully, painfully, it has grown our faith. Why is that important? Because great faith proves the genuineness of what it is. When Kirk died, and ESPN uh, did a thing in our family, you know, went out all over, I, I had just under 100 emails from clergy. I think it was 97, 97 clergy emailed me watching the piece. And every one of those 97 said, we have left the Christian faith. Because if that's who our God is, I quit. I want none of it. Well, another pastor sent me his book, and he has a sentence I will never forget. Apply it to us, and may you apply it to you. He said, the death of a child does not destroy a marriage. The death of a child proves the strength of the marriage. See, the trials, getting to think differently now, trials help our faith grow deep. You got a muscle, you got to exercise the muscle. So we don't like trials, but what trials do, trials come to exile, we're in exile, we're, in, we're on the margins, the Lord is saying, you're going to have to exercise faith. 
You're going to have to put, exercise your faith muscle so it becomes strong, so it proves the genuineness of your faith. Watch this now. In Christendom, all you had to do to be a Christian was show up once in a while in church on Sunday mornings. And you're a Christian. Or you're, you're, you're born in America. You're a Christian. Or you're born in Europe. You're a Christian. You're born in Canada. You're, really? Really? That's not even biblically true. But that's how we think. America's a Christian nation. When you're on the exile, when you're living in exile, and hard times come, the trials become real, and what they're, what, there's a goal in the last point. There's a point in this. Listen to me, people. What's happening all around us doesn't just happen. The Lord is trying to raise up a flourishing, resilient, creative minority who make a difference in a culture that is full of hurt and pain and loss. You know, when, when Google gives us one, and don't, I'm not, please don't hear this the way I'm saying it. It's not negative. I'm not putting anybody down. But if there are a hundred definitions for personal identity, what does that tell us about who we are? We don't, we, we don't know if we belong. We don't know where we fit. We don't know if we count. We don't know if we have value. And what the culture needs is not some people saying, rah, 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 rah. it needs people who say, can I be your friend? Can I listen and care? Can I love and bless? All of a sudden, the trials and the hard times become these good gifts. Yesterday, my Lane was invited, inducted into the Hall of Fame and so we went to this thing, and we listened to different presenters. And one of the presentation group was a, a cross-country team. And the young women, 1971, would run about uh, six miles one way and six miles another way uh, for cross-country practice. And they would talk about how difficult and painful that was as young women to do this all the time. And the coach then talked about how that trial that hard experience, that suffering, developed a group of young women who became lifelong friends, who became allies and advocates for each other through that trial of running these crazy 12 miles every other day. And I think that's what the Lord's trying to do with us. If we can recognize where we live and we see brothers and sisters who are going through different times and places and trials, then our opportunity is to be in relationship. It's not to send a text, it's show up in person. Go to the last slide, Jim. Could you do the last slide, please? What I'd like to, how I'd like to end every week is this way. And we'll try it for four or five weeks, and then you can, by participation, <laughs> do this or this. What I'd like to do is ask you at the end of every service for the next four or five weeks, could each of us say, Lord, I'm going to stop. I'm going to look. And I'm going to listen. And would you give me one opportunity to flourish? for you. And when we regather the next week, before I start teaching, could I just ask us to share with the people who sit, we generally sit in the same area, could you just share how did you flourish this week? So I gave this example last service. You know, we all, we all have busy lives and schedules and things, and I was rushing from one place to another, and I happened to walk through the square, 
And there was someone there who, who, who wanted to talk to me. He just wanted, he just wanted to talk to somebody. And it, it, I, I learned that this person had a speech impediment and has a difficult time communicating. So my first response was, the good Samaritan all over again. <laughs> it's like, and he wants to talk. And as he stuttered, it took a long time to communicate. But since Kirk has died, if you come and see me, I won't be watching my clock. I'm going to be with you until we're done. And this young man just needed someone to listen to him. He didn't need somebody to preach to him. He didn't need any help. He just wanted to be heard. That's an example of flourishing. Stop, look, and listen. Lord, how do you want me to flourish for someone this week? And could we share it? Well, let's go back to the passage. They got a vey. Here we go. Let me go to, let's go to verses 3, 4, and 5, because I want to try to be perspective again. So he says, so um, Eric over here brought us to grace and peace, be yours in abundance. I talked about that. Look at verse 3. 3, the word praise is to bless. So it's bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something really funny. Look up here a second. If you're a Jewish, Christ, a Jewish believer, a devout Jewish believer, they have a Hebrew word for blessing. They have what are called the 18 blessings. So multiple times a day in an Orthodox Jewish home, you say the 18 blessings. You're just blessing God for all kinds of stuff. Just bless the Lord. It's amazing. And multiple times a day, and in the temple. So the people of Israel are always bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. That's the word for praise in verse 3. So we bless the Lord, but why do we do it? In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Meaning what? Christ died, Christ rose. Because of that, we have an eternal living hope. He explains it. An inheritance that can never be perish, spoil, or fade. What is being offered us through Jesus is an inheritance kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last day. What's he saying? You have an eternal hope and inheritance. So just imagine, just imagine. You knew that when your dad died, your mother died, or your, whoever your, ex your executive estate is, when that person dies, you have access to one billion dollars. So someday, 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 you will be a billionaire. That's what he's saying in those verses. You have an inheritance that is absolutely protected and safe. It has more value than gold. It is being kept for you. And then he says in verse 6, but you might have some trials. 
And the purpose of these trials is so your faith becomes real and genuine and strong so that when Jesus comes back, you're going to be so pumped because everything that has been promised will be completely revealed. And your life of faithfulness, your life of faith is a gift you give to the king. That's why I say to you a bazillion times the last 27 years, this is practice for the game that's coming. We get to practice now. This earth, the years we live on this earth, it's practice. And when Jesus comes back and creates this new heaven and new earth, we're going to be for real. It's the real game. It's the real deal. How these last three verses end, it's interesting. He talks about the prophets who by the Spirit are trying to see what in the world is Jesus going to do for those he loves. And then he talks about the teachers who talk and talk and talk about this wonder. And then he talks about the angels. Now think about this one. This, this, this just blows my mind. Remember when I did the, the golf ball thing? Remember I did the, the series on trillions of universes? Remember all that a couple, three years ago? And I used the size of a golf ball, the size of a pea. So we have trillions of universes, galaxies everywhere. And wherever the third heaven is, where where the throne room is, wherever that is, wherever that is, there are bazillions of angels just standing there thinking, why did Jesus go there? Why did he go to that P in trillions of universes? And why did our king die for the idiots on that little P? And the angels are going, what is going on? And what's he saying? Peter says, you have an inheritance, undefiled, without blemish, that will be yours when Jesus returns. So you're going to suffer for a little while. Expect it. And there's a reason for suffering. Know it. The Lord is trying to give you genuine faith, which is more valuable than a billion dollars in cash. So that when Jesus comes back, he sees a group of people who have lived with an amazing, resilient, creative, flourishing faith. And what's he going to say to you? Well done. Well done. Welcome home. You ain't going to believe what I prepared for you. It's going to be so good. And so long, it's going to blow your mind. That's a good word to an exilic people. Amen? So can I have the last slide again, please? This is what I'd like you to think about. If nothing else, remember, stop, look, and listen. Could you think about where could you be a flourishing person this week? And where could you honor the King of Kings? Would you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Let's take a moment for reflection and quiet. Would you ask the Lord what he wants you to take away from worship this morning? Would you invite him? to give you names of a person or a situation or a place. 
where you're invited to exercise faith and where you can offer the gift of flourishing. Lord, would you be speaking to us all through this day, all through this week, in many small and large ways, so that your kingdom comes and your will is done in Southeast Iowa, like it's done in heaven. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and glory, for you are our King of Kings. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Amen.